You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, it's Aileen and welcome to episode 51 of The Music Room. Today I am going to interview my good friend Nissa Brown again. She was on the podcast in episode 40 but I brought her back on for episode 51 to talk about distance learning. The title of this podcast is Practical and Heartfelt Encouragement for Home Learning. Nissa has become quite the expert when it comes to distance learning, and I thought that she would be a valuable resource as we are still wrapping our heads around how to do distance learning well. First, here's a little bit about Nissa. Nissa Brown is an international consultant specializing in professional and curriculum development for music educators. With strength and experience working with backwards design and the National Core Art Standards, where she served as a writer, Nissa inspires educators to connect best practices in music education to current practices in the broader field of education. This approach integrates music as a subject area and music educators into the broader educational community of the school, strengthening the learning for all involved. Most recently, Nissa served as an elementary music teacher at the American School of the Hague in the Netherlands, where she was also performing arts coordinator and elementary team leader. She draws on her kindergarten through ninth grade vocal choral music teaching experience in the U.S. and abroad while presenting at local, regional, national, and international conferences on topics that include global music, 21st century skills in the music classroom, technology integration, curriculum assessment writing, and professional learning. Nissa served as a grade 3-5 subcommittee member during the recent development of the National Core Art Standards. Nissa served as music education coordinator for Minnesota's Perpick Center for Arts Education and coached teachers in over 100 school districts across the state of Minnesota. She was one of 10 finalists for the 2004 Minnesota Teacher of the Year and received a prestigious Millikan Educator Award in 2004 from the Millikan Family Foundation. Passionate about teaching in a global context, Nissa taught at the American Embassy School in New Delhi, India, and in both Namibia and South Africa, through a fellowship offered by the Eastman School of Music. Nissa is a faculty member of the Kodai Levels training courses at Indiana University and the University of St. Thomas. She also serves as an adjunct professor at the University of St. Thomas and Augsburg College. Nissa studied in Hungary at the Kodai Institute's Summer Seminar in 2002. She released her first CD in October 2000, Packwood or Paradise, and is currently recording a CD of lullabies. Nissa graduated from the Hart School of Music and Hartford College for Women in 1998 with a Bachelor of Music and Education and a Bachelor of Arts in Women's Studies. She completed her Master of Arts in Music Education at the University of St. Thomas, 2008. She earned her mastery certificate in Kodai Studies from Kodai Brigham Young University in 2001, and she completed levels one and two of ORF training at the University of St. Thomas. And now, here's the show. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be talking to my good friend, Nissa Brown. Hi, Nissa. Hi, Eileen. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Nissa has done such great work with distance learning. So I wanted to bring her on the podcast to pick her brain pretty much. All right. So Nissa, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I should say that Nissa was on the podcast not that long ago, like in episode 40, which is a great episode. I wanted to bring her back on here because like I said, she's got 
she's done some really great work in this area. So can you tell us about yourself, your music educator journey, and your experience with distance learning? Sure. I think what I'll do is just keep it really short. And if people want more, they can find a bio, but I'll just hit the parts that I think maybe are most pertinent to this episode. So my journey as a music educator, uh, I facilitated uh, both student and teacher learning uh, in the classroom and in schools for over 20 years now. And this past year, I jumped into full-time facilitation of arts learning, mostly music learning as a consultant. So my full-time job now is arts education consulting globally. I'm definitely somebody who's always interested in growing and changing and evolving and seeing what else is possible because my question is always what might serve students even better than what we're doing right now? What could help teachers more than what we're doing right now? What would be even better for our communities? And so that's a question I just try to hold at the heart of everything. And that's a really, really central thing to my journey. That particular perspective has come in um, quite handy in the evolution of things that have happened recently. And I would say I've always been an avid, but hopefully wise user of technology in the classroom. When I say wise, I mean, just making sure that it was always about the learning first and that the technology supported that. The first fully online course that I taught was about four years ago when the core art standards were released. I taught a course actually through the University of St. Thomas using their Blackboard system at the time. And it was about curriculum development in the new standards. And we had about 20 teachers from around the world join us for that. And we were all just trying to make heads and tails of the new standards, to be honest, and what they meant for our kids. So I think that those are the biggest chunks. I guess I would also add that since that course, I've been doing more blended consulting. So for instance, I would be like video conferencing with the sites that I've been doing professional development with. And we, you know, maybe collaborate on some Google Docs or website with like hyperlinks or things like that, that would really help us be having the same conversation. But it was always in a blended capacity. So I would spend some time at their site, like I would fly to their school for a portion of the year, a week or two separate weeks at some point or whatever. And then I would do some coaching and consulting digitally that way as well. So I think that's the part of my journey that's most pertinent to this conversation. Mm-hmm. And you had been working with some music teachers in China, is that correct? Who had already been distance learning? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I've had the pleasure of working with a couple of different schools in China for the past two, two and a half years now. And since Chinese New Year, they've been on distance learning. And so they started, I believe, the first week of February as well. So they were the first ones who really taught me about what this looks like in our schools because I've done it on my own, but what does it mean for our schools in this time, given our current context? And so they're the ones that really uh, helped bring that to the surface for me. Right. Okay, so you have this awesome Facebook group, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is it called e-learning and music education? That's correct, yep. Okay, so you have this really great Facebook group, and you also have a course about distance learning. So what inspired you to create both of those? I'm glad that you think that the Facebook group is awesome. It is awesome because of the people who are in it. I mean, I certainly contribute to it, but any community, especially an online community, is made up of the people in the group and how they treat each other and how they support each other and empower each other. And this group is probably one of the most uh, positive and supportive groups that I've been in. So I'm really, really grateful to everyone who's in it as well. Okay, so what inspired me to create the uh, Facebook group? It really goes back to that question that you just asked about, you know, working with my colleagues and our colleagues, my colleagues in China. And I think, yeah, it was the beginning of February. And when they went into distance learning, I was in contact with them and trying to be helpful. But what was going on at their schools was really that their schools were just trying to figure this out. Like they were the first schools in the world 
in this particular context at this point in history to figure out how to do this distance learning thing while everybody was in quarantine. And so while I tried to be helpful, they were navigating their school's expectations. And I can honestly say I can take no credit (laughs) except for the curriculum paradigm that I, I had them set up for their success at the beginning. But I listened voraciously to what they were saying. And just every school is different. So there's two different schools that I work with in China and the different expectations of those two schools were different because, you know, they have different admin and different curriculum departments and things. So when I started to see folks in other parts of the world start asking some of the same questions that folks in China had already had some really solid answers to, I thought, well... I want to facilitate those conversations. I mean, to be frank, like I was watching people in Minnesota who I love, I'm from Minnesota originally, freak out. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know people who can help you. I may not have all the answers, but they can. How can I facilitate this conversation? And that's really how the Facebook group started. It really was how can, and and I would never have done that if they hadn't offered. Like these are incredibly generous teachers who have gone before us, who have said, hey, if I can be helpful, please let me know. Out of all of that, I wanted to try to find a way to support everyone. And like I said, I was just listening voraciously. I was trying to figure out part of my job as a consultant is not just to know all the details, but also to help people understand the framework that we're working in, because those frameworks really give us guideposts about our next decisions. And so while I was listening, I was trying to figure out like, what are the different categories or phases or stages or things to pay attention to. And I wanted to try to find a way, like I said, to support people and to facilitate people working through all those different stages and phases with home learning. So at that point, I created this phases of implementation of home learning. It's four free training videos and a PDF and what we can link to it in the show notes so people can go to it if they're interested. But it's really to help us really focus our efforts and I don't want to say pay attention to the right thing at the right time because there's not a right thing, but to really streamline our focus at different points. So like if you're in your first couple of weeks, think about this. If you're in your third, fourth, fifth week, think about this. If you've been doing this for six, seven, eight weeks, here are some things to consider. Because I think that we try to get to the finish line before we started the race. And so that's really where that came into. So I basically list three different phases and how things might evolve and change you know, through each one. And again, we can link to it in the show notes. But that really led to the course. So it's a long answer to your question, but it was really that idea of like phase three, like what do you do if you've been in this for a while and you know you're going to be in it for a while? That's where I can help because I know that I've set up so many approaches and ways into designing curriculum in various different contexts that that's a place I knew I could help. So I think that we can get through stage one and stage two, you know, the first six to seven weeks, maybe on our own, we can find great activities for kids to do. We can keep them making music however we can. But for folks who are looking long-term, I wanted to build something specifically for those folks. And, you know, anyone who wants to jump into sort of planning for the rest of the year, and some folks already know they're out for the rest of the year. Some folks probably are out for the rest of the year. They just haven't been told yet, right? We don't really know. And there's a lot of unknowns and that's hard, but that is how it goes. So the course itself, it outlines just basically like a step-by-step reflection for learning goals. What are you interested in? We have different discussions in our Facebook group and talk about tech and no tech solutions. And basically by the end, with the different reflection points and opportunities to converse with everyone else in the course, the goal was that you would leave with at least one custom created unit for your students that fits in 
perfectly with the current learning context that you have. So you're making really conscious decisions within the parameters that you have, even if they're not the parameters that you want, <laughs> how can we really make the best of that situation? So that's really how the course came to be was really me asking, how can I be of service and how can I help? And I think that was one of the clearest things that came out. So yeah, so helpful. I just want to give a plug to the three things that you just mentioned. So like I said, the Facebook group is really great. I actually just posted a question in there yesterday and received so much really great feedback. While we're recording this, I only had this batch of lessons out for like two days. Um, and seeing the participation that I was hoping to see, I know I probably just need to calm down. <laughs> <Just be patient. laughs> it's hard though. First into it, you know. Yeah. And there's a way for me to see who's completed what, and I just wasn't seeing the participation I was hoping for. But I got so many great tips. So that's a free Facebook group. And in that Facebook group, you have these awesome masterclasses where you interview people for 10 minutes or sometimes it's half an hour. I actually did one with you that are really, really helpful, all about different topics. So if you haven't checked out that Facebook group, make sure to do that. And I will link to that in the show notes, which is on my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com. You just go over to podcast and this is podcast 51. All right. So plug for the Facebook group. It's really awesome. And then the phase one, two, and three, Nissa has these videos that she's made that are also free to watch that are so helpful. I felt just calmer, just watching the videos and listening to it. Good. Just having that voice of reason, that calm voice of reason, kind of talking me through you know, a lot of the fears that I have or a lot of the frustrations and kind of where to go. I just felt like it was really calming um, mm. thing for me to do. So right. I recommend those videos, which I can also link to in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And then I am taking the course and the course is really great. I told Nissa, I just was watching it last night and I just feeling like I have a new direction of where to go with mm -hmm. all of this. So highly recommend the course, which I can link to that in the show notes as well. And then with the course, she also has a Facebook group that's specific to the course and really helpful and lots of interaction in that group as well. So if you're kind of feeling like you don't know what to do next, you're feeling a little frustrated or chime in if you want, Nissa, but I really sure. feel like the, the course is really helpful to have a clear direction of where to go mm -hmm. and, and being able to cater it around my school's needs and my school population is also super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we were talking before we hit record about this. One of the biggest challenges of this time, I think, is that music teachers, we were trained to do something in a certain way. And especially those of us who've been doing it for a while, we feel pretty confident, not in an unhumble way, but like we have some facility at what we do. And all of a sudden, we're not doing that. All of a sudden, we're not in a face-to-face -face classroom, and, it, and it's destabilizing in a world that feels less stable than it usually does, right? Because there's so many things we can't control going on. And so I think part of my, part of my goal with the course, because I can't fix the outside world. None of us can right now. I mean, we're each doing our small part, but you know, I think that by helping teachers make the choice that they know is right for themselves, this idea of self-trust and building confidence in something that most of us are really, really new at is a high priority for me to facilitate that kind of work because I know it makes a difference to us as professionals. And ultimately, of course, it makes a difference to students as well. So I hope that that's what people leave the course with. That's my greatest hope. <laughs> so. All right. So as you have facilitated the group and taught the course, what are some common frustrations that you've noticed? And if you also want to talk about solutions to those frustrations, that would be great. Sure. Um, I think 
I feel like the biggest frustration I hear is overwhelm. People are just completely overwhelmed. And I mean, if we can just take a moment to strip it down and be real, this is an overwhelming time. Like that's the thing. Like we sometimes look at something, and go, oh, well, I shouldn't be overwhelmed. You'd be lying to yourself not to be, right? But it's when we let that overwhelm overtake us like a tidal wave that it gets to be too much. So how do we, you know, acknowledge what is and stay present and connected to other people so we can say sort of, you know, self-regulated and in that zone of feeling like our nervous system is healthy and happy uh, and acknowledging what's really going on because denial isn't going to help us either, right? And I think that there's no quick fix certainly for that. Like there's nothing that anybody can do, say, be, or know that's going to take that away. But I think that 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 piece of overwhelm is really what I was trying to get at in the phases of implementation. And I tried, you know, if people want all the information on that, I mean, there's like over two hours of video training, like they can go listen to if they're interested. But I kind of busted it down into three different categories, mindset, instruction, and tech. And I would love to sort of take that, this idea of this overwhelm and what are some concrete strategies for each of those three categories. So the first thing is just starting with our mindset. And I know that especially when we're not feeling so confident or we're feeling overwhelmed, that's the last place we want to go. We want to do something to help us feel better, right? So we want to like jump into fixing our instruction or jump into a new technology and that's a normal, natural response. But I think that if we don't come back to the mindset piece, we're not going to have as much energy or balance to go back to the instruction and the technology piece. So I just want to put a plug in for this. If you haven't spent some time on mindset stuff, you'll be happier. And so will everyone else in your life if you do. (laughs) So in terms of mindset, we have to acknowledge right away, we can't do everything. There are things that are out of our control. And for everyone's sake, I think it's important not to focus on those. I think it's important to acknowledge them, like we were saying with the overwhelm, acknowledge it, but not steeping in it because it doesn't help us to stay there. Nothing good comes of being miserable all the time, right? So I think it is important to focus on what we can do and to do it well, but not perfectly because there's no such thing, especially in a brand new context for most of us. It feels like a razor's edge sort of walk, right? Like do it, do it well but don't do it perfectly. And the next thing I'm going to say is don't compare yourself to other people that you see online because you have no idea what their situation is either because you want to do it well. So you want to do it well like someone else is doing it. But that's not necessarily the best approach because they may have different parameters from their school. They may have different resources available to them. All of their kids may have technology. All of your kids may not, right? So it's just so important not to try to be or do what someone else um, is doing because it's there's let them inspire you, but not to do that compare game. I don't think anything good comes of it, honestly. And I think just because there's no better translator of what needs to happen right now for your kids than you. No one else knows that. No one can give you that answer better than you can. So I think that's the important thing to focus on. And our mind will want to go to all kinds of different places and just to notice, oh, there it went. I'm going to bring it back to my kids and what I'm doing right now. In terms of in the instruction piece, I think the most important pieces are to simplify and then simplify again and then simplify times 10. (laughs) And then in general, just do less. Like whatever do less looks like, do that and do as much less as you can. For any overachievers listening, that's a really hard thing because we really see our own, a strength of ours as being people who get stuff done, right? And 
whatever our normal is, whatever my 100% is, is going to be different now because everything that's going on around us is taking energy whether or not we know it. So it's natural that, you know, our brains don't focus as well. It's natural that we're a little bit more on edge. It's natural that we have less energy. There's so many things that are just normal based on what we're processing every day right now. And so no matter how much you're used to doing, just expect that that threshold is going to be different right now. And what that can look like then in our instruction is just to do less. So here are some things to, to, that I think are important to think about. Consider the following things when we're working with our kids. So thinking about connection, rebuilding the community that we had when we saw them last. So you know how you build community in September, you play games, you get to know each other, all that stuff. You need to rebuild that community online as well. And it's not just a one-shot thing like, hey, here's the first synchronous or asynchronous lesson. Let's build community and get on with music teaching. That needs to come on an ongoing basis, just like they're used to joking around before the bell rings, before rehearsal, and kids have in elementary classrooms, we give them chances to like turn and talk and talk about their weekend with their friends. You know, whether we're doing synchronous or asynchronous learning, we need to find ways for them to socialize and connect online as well. So if you're doing synchronous stuff, like let them joke around in the chat for the first few minutes of class, of course, as long as it's appropriate, or breakout rooms if you have something like that and you, you know, you can turn them loose if they have the you know respect and safety things to be able to do that and your school allows it let them talk with each other for a little while at the beginning of your class mm-hmm. if it's asynchronous maybe have the kids post about their favorite activity while they've been at home and if they can handle it and they have again the tech respect skills let them comment on each other's posts like maybe something like padlet or something like that that would allow them to to have asynchronous interactions, but still be able to, you know, feel like they're connecting and they know what's going on in someone else's life and somebody else knows what's going on in their life, right? I think in terms of like specific instruction, review what we've done in class first and maybe with a slight twist. So we're not doing brand new things because the brand new things is learning at home and connection and a new routine and new technology. That's all brand new. So don't throw new music stuff at them to start with. Consider maybe extending that learning then. If you know you'll be out for a while, consider how you might start to thread lessons together in a meaningful way. And that's really what the curriculum focuses on is like, if you know you're going to be doing this for a while, how can you make it what you want it, given the parameters we have? (laughs) I want to just throw in a big caveat that I know that there are teachers in the States who've been told that they can't teach anything new, right? So this is where you've got all this like super, super specific stuff that they can only provide review activities and optional activities. And, you know, of course, then do that. We can't control things we can't control. And then I also think that it's really important that curriculum is written at the local level. So no matter what you see anyone else doing, going back to that same idea, write what your kids need from you. Somebody else may have a really, really great idea, but it's not necessarily going to be right for you. So what can you learn and how can you translate that to your own kids? And then in terms of technology, just a couple of tips here too. I think that it's most important to start with your school's main platform and then use that to the max because your kids already know how to do that. So their learning curve with technology with that will be less, hopefully, and they can really focus then more on the connecting and the learning piece. So, you know, whatever you use, maybe you use Google or Microsoft Teams, or you've got Seesaw, Canvas, Schoology, like whatever, however you get stuff to kids and back from kids or however that works, use that first and and primarily. So that's your first thing is whatever your school uses, use that. A second thing, I think one of the best ways to connect with kids, if technology is an option, is to use some kind of a screencasting app because they see your face and they hear your voice, right? Which is something that is completely irreplaceable. So, you know, some kind of screencasting app like Loom or Screencastify, you may have something that your school uses as well to use that. 
And then a third consideration, if you're allowed and if you're allowed to do synchronous work would be some kind of video conferencing tool. And ironically, none of those that I've mentioned so far actually are music specific, <laughs> right? Like they're all sort of like the tools and basics of connecting with the kids. And then from there, we can start to thinking about adding some music specific apps, curate them like somebody at an art museum curates art. So don't stack them on, on a shelf like a book. You need to decide what you want to hang on your wall. And you're going to have very few pieces of art because they will distract from one another if you don't choose carefully, right? So curate them carefully. Maybe once you've got the things that I mentioned before in place, you might think about adding one or two apps or three in addition to what's mentioned. I had a very, very wise friend say, I am not going to try to learn how to use more than one technology tool per week. And I'm not going to ask my students to either. And right. I thought, brilliant. I love good boundaries. So that was fantastic. I think it's a mutual friend and she said the same thing to me. And I was like, yes, that's exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I just thought, yes, absolutely. Like you have to know what your capacity is and you got to be able to show up for yourself and for your family if you're going to show up for your kids. So know what your limit is. So yes. anyways, knowing tons of technology is not the key to success here, right? It's knowing our kids and knowing how to translate what's important so that we can reach them. And technology may, or for some of us, may not be a part of that. Right. It may not be an option, right? So this isn't about technology. It's about kids. Yes. So if that helps us reframe our thinking about, I'm not good at technology, I don't care. Like, that's not going to make or break you right now. What's yeah. going to make or break is, do you know your kids and how can you connect with them? And then do a limited number of technology interventions to get there. Yes. Where I've actually struggled is I love technology. <laughs> For those of you who are super techie, the opposite problem is now you have more time and you can dive into all these new tech tools that you had heard about, but actually didn't have the time to do before. And now you do. So I did this whole like spiral down into Seesaw. <laughs> like for a full day, just like exploring Seesaw and getting super excited about all the possibilities. And it is very cool. I'm yes. all trying to criticize Seesaw. Where I got stopped finally, where I finally had to like stop myself and be like, Aileen, enough, is that I realized that in order for my kids to be set up with Seesaw, I did have all of my third graders. Um, I had invited all the parents like prior to all this a, a few mm -hmm. months ago into Seesaw, but I didn't even have that many parents accept. And I'd only sent out one note home about it because I had a video that I wanted them to watch. And I wasn't as persistent as I should have been to get everybody into Seesaw. So where I got stopped was in order for like, let's say first grade to get into Seesaw, I actually have to, for security reasons, I have to send an email to every single parent to have them sign up, you know, to Seesaw. Yes. Yes. Password or whatever. Yep. Or code or whatever. And once I realized I had to do that, I was like, mm, okay, first of all, that's a lot of work for me. Let's be honest. Yep. But second of all, I'm not going to get the majority of parents to do that. I know I'm not. Yep. So yep. how can I make it as easy as possible with the technology that they're already used to? So yeah, I love that analogy of curating art. Like yeah. look at everything you have and then decide what is best instead of having a lot of art and it's all cluttered think about what's best for your kids and what's going to be easiest. Yeah. And I also think that when we look at art, I am a musician, not a visual artist, but just play along for a second. You look at art that 
either complements each other or contrasts each other. Like we are very intentional about the different pieces that we choose, right? So it's not necessarily have three things that do something similar, but to have just the main cornerstone pieces that ground the learning and then to use those. And that might mean that there are some things we don't teach because we, we don't have the right tool to do it right now. Well, there's lots of things to teach. Right. Okay. So we can make really intentional, conscious choices about that. Right. And I think there's also, I think the conclusion I finally ended up at was, okay, there are some really great tools that I have discovered with this, which is awesome. I'm going to save some of those for in-class learning. Like I'm totally going to use Seesaw when we're back together because it's mm-hmm. so much easier to do when you're in person. And yeah. there's so many things you can do with it. It's awesome. But there are some things that really just aren't, it's not going to be helpful for me to try to figure out how to use it now because yes. of constraints and because of technology on the other side with the parents and the kids. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So as you have facilitated the Facebook group and taught the course, what have you noticed about how teachers are adapting and evolving? Well, I have to say with respect oozing from every single pore of my body, music teachers and educators in general are quite simply amazing. Like, I don't know what else to say. If you, if you look at, how teachers have just jumped in with both feet, with their whole hearts, doing whatever they can that they feel is best for kids. It's really nothing short of incredible. Yeah. If I ever get down and feel just a little bit like, whew, this is real heavy. And you know, we're all going to be there at different times, right? So just that's a piece of normalcy. If I look in the e-learning group or the course group now, Facebook group, I am re and re-inspired again um, by the goodwill, the support, and the truly bottomless positive intention right now. I just think about like, if you think to yourself, like, let's see, what global circumstance would it take for pretty much everyone on the planet to make their resources available for free? We have our answer, right? Right. I mean, seriously, think about that. If somebody had said three months ago, all of these arts or these professional organizations that hold how much, you know, hundreds of dollars for tickets per seat are going to make stuff available for free, we would have laughed. Right. Right? I mean, this has brought out the best of everyone. And I mean, in terms of generosity and in terms of being willing to share, and it's really, really incredible. I think one of the things I've also noticed because we so deeply want to serve our students, which I know words for how much respect I have for that spirit in us as, as I'm going to stick to music teachers, although I know it applies further than that because we want to serve our kids. We've really started at a sprint like we started out of the blocks. We are going to make this home learning thing work for kids. We are going to do everything we can. And we are going to you know, leave it all on the court, as they say, right? Leave it all on the field. Like we are going to give it all because most of us thought we were doing this for two or three weeks. Right. And then all of a sudden we realized that we're not running a sprint. Some of us are running a half marathon or a marathon, depending on how you look at it. If you started February 4th, like folks in China, you probably say you're running a marathon. We are all struggling to repace ourselves mm-hmm. because the, for most of us, the way that we went into this is not a sustainable pace to continue for even as long as we think we're going to be out, even if we expect to go back to school, much less those of us who know that we're going until June 1st, June 15th, June whatever, you know, and, and that's just, that's a Northern hemisphere, I suppose, thinking, but you know what I mean? <laughs> we have to repace ourselves. Like we have to rest. We need time away from our screen. Yeah. We need nourishment in all its forms. 
lots of liquid, good food, really connective conversations, like whatever grounds you and makes you happy. We need all of that nourishment. Just think about running a marathon. Like I'm not that I've ever done it, but I have folks who have, and I think they're amazing, right? You have to re-nourish yourself on so many levels. And after we take a rest, I feel like we need to step back on the course and we need to be really happy with ourselves for going at a brisk walk. Yeah. That's the fastest for a while, right? So when you have spring break, you take some time off, you come back and you come back at a brisk walk, right? Not even like a slow run, just a brisk walk because you know you can sustain that and our kids need us to, right? I have to say that the, the learning curve that everyone has taken on has also just blown my mind. I'm watching teachers do things that scare themselves left and right. It's unbelievable. Every day, creating videos, holding classes online, learning new technology, considering different curricular emphases than what we've ever done in our lives because we know that this current context of learning is asking something different of us and our students. And we just, we can't sprint through that the whole time, right? It's just too exhausting. That learning curve is really, really steep. And I think anybody who's been in the e-learning group knows how unbelievably generous everyone has been offering resources and thinking and lessons and activities just completely freely to one another. Like just, here's my stuff, please take it. Um, I think that we're making the absolute best out of a really horribly difficult situation, one that none of us would have wished for. And I'm watching people choose on a daily basis to be the most generous, uh, supportive and empowering versions of themselves day after day, week after week, and month after month. <laughs> and I think that that's absolutely incredible. And that's, that's just some of the ways that people are walking through. And, and I feel like there's just this growth, this evolution of growth. There just isn't a chart big enough for it, right? It's, it's really, really amazing. And the reality is we can't be superheroes all the time. Like, yes, we're amazing and our colleagues are amazing, but we have to pace ourselves. So I don't want to over-celebrate. Oh, everyone's so amazing. Yeah, we are. And <laughs> we still need to, to take really, really careful care of ourselves and our families too. Yes. Agreed. It has been, I think that's been one of the bright sides of all of this is that even though there's so much going on in the world right now and it's scary and it's hard, I feel like we're seeing so much good too, mm. yep. which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's that mindset piece, right? What you choose to focus on and increases yeah. in its amplitude, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. So in your opinion, what are some big differences in how music lessons have been taught traditionally? and how they are taught or how they can be taught with distance learning. As far as like, what are some content differences? And then what do you think maybe we will lose, but what could we also gain? Yeah, I answered that question. I think that the content differences will come out. I sort of like in my mind, I batch that into the lost and the gained. And I think that the content piece will come out in that, but then also the affective piece as well. So if I think about what we've lost, for now, not for good, but for now, I feel like we've lost that community. And I put that first because I feel like that's the most important thing. Like even us introverts have this sense of we may be much happier at home than our more extroverted friends, but we we miss community, like no matter, no matter, right? Um, And I think to a certain extent, I mean, I don't want to be overdramatic, but there's a hole in our hearts. Like we miss these people. School communities are not just communities. Many of them are families, right? And so we miss our kids. We miss our colleagues. They're like our siblings, you know, like it really does get to be like that if you've been in a place long enough. And 
there's a personalness that comes from standing in the same space with people um, for our kids, for all of our kids, but I think especially for the younger ones, the ones that need the hugs, the ones that physical presence is just developmentally so important. I think it's true for everyone, but especially the little littles. So I think that that's a loss, not forever, but for now. And I think that possibly the like hardest, most painful losses is that some of us have lost the ability to be in touch with some of our students. And for those of us, we were talking about this before we hit record as well, that, you know, as educators, we are dogged, dogged advocates for our kids. Like we will do anything for our kids and we can put as many worksheets or as much tech out there in the world. And if they don't come back to us, there is nothing we can do. I mean, we can encourage, we can send another email, we can try to go through the classroom teacher, we can, like, there's all kinds of strategies, but if it were us and we didn't see a kid, they were skipping our class, we'd go to their math class afterwards and be like, hey, where are you? Right. You didn't come come to court the past week. You know, like we would be on them and we can't do that now, you know? And I think that that's huge. I think there's a tacit sense for some folks of like, we're failing our kids. And that's, oh, like that's like the worst thing you can say to a teacher, right? And so I think that we have to understand that that's one of the things that's outside of our control and it doesn't stop our concern, but it is, that's huge. I think that's really, really a huge loss. Obviously the ability to play or sing in an ensemble, any kind of ensemble community making stuff is gone as we knew it before. That's a huge loss for now. And I think one of the blessings of that is that we didn't really realize what we were taking for granted in some ways. Like we know how powerful that is, Mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden when you don't have it, you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know? Yes. Like I just think about Thursday mornings, I have choir or I had choir. (laughs) And there were times where I was able to stop and appreciate how awesome Mm -hmm. when they were singing around and it sounded beautiful. I would sometimes get a little teary, emotional like that. So I'm just thinking about when I finally get to be in front of my 100 kid choir again, and we can sing together, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think there's lots of pieces, you know, for some of us, it's too soon to say, you know, there are going to be blessings on the other end of this. Some of us are, are still in the earlier stages of the grief process of this whole thing. And we're not ready to get there. And that's okay. It it all comes in its due time. There's no right place to be. But I think there's so many things about our lives in general that we have taken for granted. The ability to go to the supermarket. Like I hated to go to the supermarket, to be honest with you. I would love to be able to safely and gleefully skip through the supermarket aisles (laughs) right now, right? Like, hey, I can choose anything I want to. This is amazing. You know, hey, how are you? Great to see you. Like, I would love to be able to do that. I used to hate grocery shop. Right? Talk about taken for granted. (laughs) So, anyways, not to make light, but like really, there's there's so many things that we will see differently now. The ability to have all the food come home from the grocery store and not have to disinfect it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was joking that when I lived in Todd in India, any fresh food that you bought from anywhere, you would wash in a really, really super, super diluted bleach solution to make sure that there was nothing on it that would make you ill. And I thought to myself, wow, this is kind of a flashback, you know? But again, the ability to trust the food that you're eating and know that part of the world never lives like that, you know? So just so many perspective building things. I had just two other losses and then into the gains list is a lot longer. We kind of like naturally popped over into the gains, but I think we lose the ability to give immediate feedback, which is just part of Like we do that split second formative feedback all the time as music teachers. We can't not, right? We lose the ability to do that unless we're doing one-on-one lessons of some kind because can't have multiple sounds at the same time. And I think there's a differentiation and a responsiveness in teaching that 
comes from being in front of the kids that we can't really do, you know? In terms of what's gained, um, we kind of jumped into this before, but it's really a perspective on what matters most. And I think that that's slightly different for each one of us. But all the little things that separate us and the little things that maybe bother us on a daily basis, they really fade away when something like this happens. And so it really, it calls us back to what's most important and what we care about, you know? And I think our ability to let the little things go in a situation like this is something that we should push save somewhere in our brains on because it will allow us to hopefully come back to that experience of, you know what, we disagree on that and it doesn't matter. Or, you know what, I would do that differently. And really in the greater scheme of things, that's all good. You know, I think that as educators, that it's, that we also gain the ability to think more broadly about what is possible in terms of curriculum and technology and connection. Like, I think that we have a, we just have a broader perspective uh, on that now. The flexibility to think about different ways to accomplish the same goals. Like we've had to think about, gosh, how do I do notation at a distance? How do I do assessment at a distance? How do I get kids to respond to music and get anything meaningful from them back? I, we, we've had to think about different ways to do this. And our brains naturally do the same thing in the same way to save energy. It's actually biological. Um, and right now, you know, sometimes say, oh, you should think outside the box. But right now we're not even thinking outside the box. It just feels like there isn't even a box anymore. Like, <laughs> what box? <laughs> um, and there's a flexibility in the brain, I think, that we're building, frankly, right now out of necessity. None of us would have chosen it. But I think that that can have some positive longer term. I think that just we're practicing the opportunity to be generous and compassionate and you know, the most empowering, beautiful versions of ourselves on a daily basis, we are being asked to ask for help because we all need it. And I think that some of us do that better than others. And I think that's a gift also. We have the opportunity to choose our daily mindset. We also have the responsibility to do that. And I think that's a muscle that we build from like an education standpoint. I think that we're doing much better with choice and voice and differentiation in some ways, differentiation in the kids can choose their level of difficulty. They can choose how they want to demonstrate their learning, that kind of differentiation, not the kind that is really easiest to do when they're sitting in front of you. That's different. And I think that there are tech tools that we're learning how to use now that we probably wouldn't because they can lead to you know more creativity whatever kind of creativity you think of in the small chunks or the big chunks and also more individualized learning. I think that what we're learning now when we go back into the classroom is going to give us a whole different paradigm about how we can flip work, how we can give kids more choice about that, how we can let them have more ownership for us because we have the technology fluency that we did not before. I think that a huge gain is that the confidence that we know we can have in our colleagues and in our, our global music ad community, because this kind of embracing one another and our mission right now and lifting each other up, this is possible at any moment, not just at this moment. And I think that we have learned that and we are continuing to learn that. And it's why it's so important that it continues because this is a choice. We could do this any day. And this has brought that to the surface. I'm excited because uh, Ben Fox, who's a teacher at the American School of The Hague, uh, one of my colleagues I used to work with, I still work with, I just not at that school anymore. He's actually going to do a masterclass in the group uh, next week uh -huh. about exactly this. And he's going to talk about, as an ensemble teacher, what his thinking is on what we've gained from this particular point in history thinking about our current context and how do his values perhaps shift or how does he go about things a bit differently now 
that could actually positively carry forth into the ensemble as well. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. So if folks are interested, uh, look for that masterclass with Ben Fox as well. Really intriguing. Yeah. 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 So I think those are kind of the, the big things, you know, we can do hard things. We can, right. we don't want to, but we can. <laughs> <laughs> So you already talked a little bit about this, but how do you think that your travel, you're very well traveled before all of this, obviously, how do you feel like your travel experiences and your experiences working with the teachers in China who are already doing distance learning, how has that changed your perspective of all of this? Yeah, I just feel so blessed to have people who are willing to talk with me and learn with me and ask hard questions with me all over the world because I learn so much from each one of them. And some of them, some of it's because of who they are as an individual. Some of it's because of the department that they work in, like the way that that particular music department or arts department thinks. Some of it's because of the way the school thinks about things and the school's values. In some way, shape or form, all of those are impacted, of course, by the host country and the country that the school is in, because any international school embraces the country that it's in in different ways. So I think that there's this layered thing about what makes a particular teacher's experience unique. Uh, so when I talk with them, I sometimes can cue into those different layers. Oh, that's something that you value. Oh, that's a vision piece for your team. Oh, that's an initiative from your school. Oh, that's a cultural context piece. And all of them are valuable. And I think that seeing in those layers really helps us, gosh, enjoy, just enjoy the beauty and the beautiful complexity of things. It also has taught me that very concretely that everyone or every school has to do it their own way. Mm-hmm. There's no one that can tell us how we should be doing this. Nobody from the outside. We can guide the process for each other. We can say, hey, have you tried this? Have you thought about it like this? My school sees it this way. How does your school see it? But ultimately, each teacher is the most important piece of the puzzle for student success. And I mentioned this earlier, we talked about it earlier that, you know, different schools and different districts and different states and different countries all have different structures. So what I've learned, first of all, is that I don't have all the answers and that's not my job, (laughs) but that when we ask really good questions and contextualize what we know, instead of saying, hey, you should do it this way to say, oh, I've seen this be successful in this context. How could that apply to your context? That there's a a certain evolution that happens in conversations like that, that I think are really, really helpful in this context as well. Not to say, hey, this is the best way to do it, or you should this way, or this is the best tech tool, because it's entirely possible that my best tech tool is something that your district won't allow you to use. (laughs) Zoom's a perfect example, right? There are certain schools that swear by Zoom, and they use all their instruction happens, all their synchronous instruction happens on Zoom, and they've catered their entire synchronous learning towards that. And then, of course, there are tons of places for lots of great reasons that won't use Zoom. Yeah, ours won't. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is that the more I listen, the more I realize that the conversations we have evolve together. It's not that one person really ever has the answers because our contexts are also different. And the more places you go, the more schools you work at, the more curriculum directors specifically that I talk with that say to me, hey, listen, Nissa, here's what we value at our school. I can say, okay, well, that's the same as this and different than that and similar to this. And here's a part I completely don't know about. And when I start to put all those pieces together, then my role becomes clear in facilitating those conversations. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great perspective. 
All right, so we've been talking about your fabulous Facebook group and your awesome course and also those phases of implementation videos. Um, yes. You can watch. Besides those, which resources would you recommend for people who want to continue learning and growing in this area? Well, I think the ones that you hit on would be my top ones. And I'm more than happy to put links to all of them, get you links to all of them so that we can help people find those. I think it would be a bit cumbersome for me to do it in the show notes, so I won't, but I just direct people to the e-learning in music education group. And if you go into the search bar and you do uh, hashtag 10MC for 10 minute masterclass, 10MC, then you'll come up with all of the masterclass topics like right in front of you. So it's just a really quick way to filter through all of the videos that are there. And some of them are very specific to ensemble. Some of them are more general music. There's some of them are tech. Some of them are intentionally no tech. Like I've really tried to be as broad as possible. And if I can just plug a couple of those that are coming up so folks can check it out, we're going to do one on special needs and home learning because that's been a question that's come up a lot. Somebody who's in teacher and now special needs teacher as well. And somebody's going to do something on Nearpod and also talking about uh, how to use Smithsonian folkways to make sure that we are offering the world to our students as much as possible, even during home learning as well. So we've got some really great stuff coming up. Oh, I'm excited. Those are great topics. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to talk to people. (laughs) Well, anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah, I just want to offer a little bit of encouragement to everyone and say, you know what, listen, Give yourself a break, lots of space, lots of grace. You aren't doing this wrong. None of us completely know what we're doing and we're all evolving. So just take that whole layer of, I should know what I'm doing off, just like remove it because it's not going to help you. I think one of the most helpful Facebook posts that I've seen recently was about trauma. And it talked about how trauma, the definition of trauma is too much too fast. So I just think it's really important not to underestimate that this really is challenging. We're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have days when we have tons of energy, days when we have no energy, and that that's all normal. And one of the most important things that we can do is talk with other folks and do the things that help us feel the most grounded. Make sure that you talk with people every day, especially if you live alone. Make sure that you're connecting with one or two people at least every day. And you know, we're all having different versions of the same experience. And none of us is alone in that, but we're all processing a little bit differently. And one of the best ways to just help that um, move through our systems as gracefully as it can is to connect with other people and remind ourselves that we're not alone. It won't last forever. It just feels like it will. (laughs) So I remind myself that on a daily basis too, is like, Hey, this isn't fun. I wouldn't have chosen this, but it will not be like this forever. And uh, I think my three, uh, things that I try to remember every day is just to make sure to breathe, move, and connect. Those would be my three words I keep coming back to. So if that's helpful to people, you know, just make sure you're connected to the breath, make sure that you're doing movement and that you're connecting with other people. So those would be my closing comments, I think. (laughs) So much. So this was such such wonderful thoughts. Uh, Where can people find you? I think the easiest place to find the bulk of information is on the website. I think that's where you'll find most of the stuff the fastest. So I would go to musicedforward.com, musicedforward.com. Right. Well, we so appreciate it. I just love the work that you're doing and it has really helped me calm down and focus and also just be appreciative of the awesomeness of music educators all over the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we're so lucky to have each other. And thank you for your leadership as well. Elid, you've offered so many great resources and continue to for teachers as well. So we're all in it together. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Nissa. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye.